Take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. All right, well, as we have now studied verse by verse from chapter 1 through the beginning of chapter 8, um, I hope you noticed that Paul has built this letter layer upon layer as far as his subject matter is concerned. As you know, if you were here at the beginning in, in Romans chapter 1, he dealt with man's sinfulness, if you will, man's depravity. And therefore, it made complete sense that he would then share how much man needed a Savior from that very sin. And therefore, Paul discussed the issue of salvation and how it is through faith and it is in Christ and Christ alone. At that point, as you guys know, with so many Jews in the church in Rome, Paul felt that he needed to explain that even though the law played a major part in their former life under Judaism, uh, it does not have a starring role in Christianity. Matter of fact, uh, Paul made it crystal clear, explaining to them that they are no longer under the law. As believers, we are not under the law. Matter of fact, he says they have been released from the law. And as you know, we are all under grace. Now, did that mean that without the law, that they could simply live in sin? Well, Paul addressed that because he knew that they would think such a thing. If we don't have the law, we can just live in sin. And of course, he says, no. Matter of fact, he answered emphatically, absolutely not. Twice in the same chapter. And so with the law not being able to justify us, therefore not being able to sink, sanctify anyone, Paul felt it was important to share what the law did do. What was it for? And he went on to share that it was to expose to us the sinners that we really are. It was God's plan in using his law, of course, outside of revealing his, his moral righteousness, but it was to show us that we failed at upholding his holy standards. Well, therefore, the question arises, how do we fulfill God's command to be holy as he is holy? If the law, as Paul stated in chapter 3, has never declared anyone righteous, then how or what should we live by? How are we to be sanctified? How are we to flourish in God's calling for our lives? And this is where we came into chapter 8. And Paul gave us the answer to that question, which is the Holy Spirit of God. He is so much in the forefront of Paul's mind in this chapter that he's actually mentioned 19 times here in chapter 8. And because of that, this section is not just on God's Spirit, but it is also on our sanctification the very reason God has given us his Holy Spirit is to empower us to fulfill what he has commanded of us. He didn't just save us and say, well, best of luck to you. I hope you do well. He empowered us by his Holy Spirit. Now, in saying that, and I, this is kind of a little added note, please don't forget that God has also given us his word. God's Holy Spirit and his word will always function together. 
They will always be in lockstep. The Spirit of God and the Word of God work alongside one another at all times. They are never, ever separated. And they do so to mature us believers to be who God wants us to be. And therefore, here in chapter 8, Paul first mentions the Holy Spirit in verse 2. He simply mentions him as the spirit of life, or if you will, the spirit that gives life. I mentioned for the last few weeks in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, I hope this is ingrained in your head, but he gives us new life. The Spirit of God gives us new life positionally, right? A new birth, but he also gives us new life practically, okay? Paul then referred to him once again in verse 4 by saying the righteous, risk, the righteous requirements of the law can be fully met in us who do not live according to the sin nature, but who live according to the Spirit of God. And this is now where Paul gets into explaining the difference in those two. Notice verse 5 again. He says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So Paul brings up the fact that these are two distinct people. Okay? If you remember from last week, I mentioned the use of the, the tense in the verb, like the verb live or the verb mindset. This is the, this is the present tense. So these are people who either live a lifestyle of sin or they live a lifestyle. In other words, it's continual. They live a lifestyle in the spirit. The first one, as you see there, is one who, who is driven to practice sin, to practice based upon what his sin nature desires. And of course, the second one is the same, yet he is driven and set his mind upon what the Holy Spirit desires. Now, obviously, he is talking about the non-believer and then the believer, or you can also say he's talking about before Christ and then after Christ. Now, as I said last time, my responsibility to you and to God is to go through Scripture verse by verse and to draw out of the text. And then, of course, to tell you what it means. And we call that expository or, or expositional teaching, right? The root word simply means to expose, right? Actually, EX, X means out of. Okay, we pull out of the text, okay? But sometimes, because Scripture is often misused, and sadly today it's misused a lot, it's important for me to take time and explain what the verse is not saying, okay? And last week was, if you remember, was one of those times. Now, I'm certainly not going to go through all of that once again. We don't have the time to do that. But, um, but there are some in what I would call uh, uh, the easy believism camp. Um, you may call it cheap grace, if you will. And they would say that What's talked about here in verses 5 and following, uh, where it's discussing one whose mind is set upon what the sin nature desires, they would say that this can also be a Christian. So, so somehow, 
a person from whom Scripture says is born again, born anew, born from above, who is in 2 Corinthians 5.17 called a new creation in Christ where the old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new, somehow that very person can live a life of continual sin and depravity, yet be a Christian and be heaven-bound. There's a theological term for that, and it's spelled B-O-L-O-G-N-A. You guys know what that means if you've seen the commercial, baloney. This is not to say that Christians don't sin, because we do. It doesn't mean that we don't sometimes struggle. But what it, what it does say is that Christians do not live their life that way. We don't live our lives in sin or, if you will, carnality. There are numerous scriptures that deal with this issue. Last week, I chose to, to deal with the ones from 1 John because those are typically the most straightforward. They were very clear. And going along with verse 5, verse 6 then said, the mind, actually the mindset is really what that should say, the mindset of sinful man is death, but the mind that is controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Now, you notice there that Paul did not say that this one leads to death. He didn't say that the other one leads to life, even though that is absolutely true, but he says it is death, and it is life, okay? The sinner who is carnally minded or dominated by the flesh is or lives in death. In other words, they are presently separated from God. Or as Paul says in Ephesians 2 as well as in Colossians 2, they are currently dead in their sins. And then, of course, for the believer, it's just the opposite. We have, presently, we have life and therefore we have peace. As it said in verse 2, it is the Holy Spirit that gives life. What did he do? He set us free from the law of sin and death. Folks, we have a glorious life today in Jesus Christ. Okay? And by the way, it's only to get better. One day we will see the Lord face to face, and things will be much better than they are even today. This morning, I would like to just finish up. It's not going to be long-winded, I know, which is good for you, Victor, because I'm usually a little bit long-winded. Um, but I'm just going to finish up these two verses that I did not get through uh, last week, and then I'd like to share in communion together this morning. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 5 through 8, but then I'm just going to pick up where we left off there in verse 7, okay? So let me read these verses yet again. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So as you can see, 
um, from these two verses this morning that they are focused on the non-believer. They are focused on the one without the Spirit of God, or as Paul says, uh, the one with the sinful mind, the one that has the mind that is set on the flesh. Okay? Now, Paul just stated in verse 5 that these people have a continual, remember that was the verb, it's a present tense, it's continual, it's habitual, it's ongoing. They have a continual mindset of what their sinful nature desires. Now, I read uh, last time some of those desires, some of that mindset, but I'd like to to go back this morning to just real quick look at Galatians chapter 5. So take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5. And in verses 19 through 21, uh, it makes it easy for me, by the way, because he simply says, here are the acts of the sinful nature, right? Here is how they live. Here is how they think. This is who they are. So starting in verse 19, he simply says, the acts of the sinful nature, he says they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And notice what he says. I warn you, as I've done before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? Now, as you know, from that point on, He goes on to mention the fruit of the Spirit, that which comes out of the believer who is filled with the Spirit, who is walking in the Spirit. And some of you know them. Say that You can say them out loud with me if you want. What are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Folks, did you notice that there is a dramatic difference in those lists? (laughs) <laughs> it could not be more dramatic, okay? Morally speaking, they could not be further apart, okay? Paul went on, by the way, to give yet another list of characteristics of this man driven by the sin nature, or if you will, the unsaved world, um, and that is in 2 Timothy. Flip over there real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's amazing... Um, how many things you can use to describe the sinfulness of man. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. He says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, folks, I read these these, uh, lists to you because back in Romans chapter 8 and in verse 7, he begins with the remark The sinful mind is hostile towards God. 
The sinful mind is hostile towards God. Think of those lists that we just read. Think of those actions. Think of those lifestyles. Think of some of the words that you saw in those lists. Okay? Now, the word hostile here can also be translated enmity. It can also be translated enemy. Okay? It actually comes from the root word for hatred. Just flat out hatred. It is the opposing of God. It is someone who is his bitter enemy. Okay? Paul says this is the conviction, if you will, of the unbeliever, the one in whom, verse 5 says, who has his mind set, present tense. His mind is continually set on what that sinful nature wants to do. And listen, folks, you don't have to be some kind of Satanist to be hostile towards God. Keep that in mind. Every unbeliever whether they are religious, and there are many religious unbelievers, or whether they're a card-carrying atheist, because of their unbelief, having rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, they have currently a separation from God. Now, sure, like, like a lot of people, they can go out and, and, and do what an ungodly world thinks is a good deed, right? You may have a neighbor who's a non-believer, but he does a good, he does a good deed. He might do something nice. But that is the occasional act, okay? It's not what drives him, Scripture teaches. Despite what unredeemed mankind wants to think, and Lord knows I've heard this before, everyone is not a child of God. You know, Darren, that we're all children of God? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I've heard people look at me in the face and tell me that. Really, where, where, do, you, where do you find that at? Let me write that down. That's, that's nonsense, right? Scripture is clear, folks. There is a child of God, and Jesus says there is a child of the devil. I didn't make it up. I just read it, right? There is no, there is no in-between, right? There is no child in the middle, if you will. This is why, remember last week when I looked at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7? There is a broad road, and there's a what? A narrow road. There's no other road. You're a child of God on the narrow road. You're a child of the devil who maybe think he's going to heaven, but you're on the broad road. Well, Darren, just because I don't believe the Bible does not mean I'm evil. Doesn't mean I'm some kind of Satan worshiper. But listen, Jesus said very clear in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he who is not with me, go ahead, tell me, is against me. You notice there's a default there. If you're not with me, by default, you are against me. If you, whether people like it or not, you have taken sides. We have. Paul continues in verse 7, and he says, that sinful mind does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And so as you can see here, as well as we're going to see in verse 8, Paul continues to characterize the sinful mind, the mind that is driven, or if you will, the mind that is to practice what their sin nature desires. Now, even though there are some out there 
and we all have seen them, there are some people out there who purposefully and personally flaunt their sin. There are those people out there who do that. They flaunt their perversion, their depravity. Others, as you know, are not necessarily so public in their sin. And by the way, these are people that we work with every day. These are people that maybe you, you, uh, you shop with or you see at the store every day. But yet they still have no desire for what is right and for what is true and for what is holy. In other words, folks, it's not just the most expressive ones. Somehow we get that in our mindset that the, the most heathenistic, the most depraved or whatever you see it on the news or you read it, but it's not just them. Okay, trust me, folks, many, many years before Christ when I dealt drugs, trust me, it's not just to the street thug. It's to the bank manager. It's to the CEO. They're the ones who are doing a lot of this stuff too. They're the ones that say, hey, good morning. How are you doing this morning, Mrs. Carson? Oh, great, nice to see you. Can I take your money? Sure. <laughs> it's those same people. Trust me, I know from experience. They too, Paul says, have no desire to submit themselves to the righteous standards of God. Matter of fact, as you know, for many people, it's laughable. And we see that today in our culture, don't we? It reminds you of in the Proverbs where it, it, it talks about those who hate or, or call evil good and good evil. They will laugh at what we believe. They will laugh at what we stand for. We will be mocked, and we are, absolutely. I'm trying to get you folks to understand that it's not just the really bad person out there who we think is a really bad person. But this is a general statement for the unbeliever. This unbeliever doesn't have the Spirit of God. They're driven by one thing, okay? Now, if you would have asked me all those years ago, Darren, uh, why, why do you reject Christ? Why do, you, why do you do the things you do? I would have been honest with you. And I would have just looked at you and said, because I love my sin. I love what I do. I enjoy the things that I do. I know they're wrong. I know they're bad. I know they're depraved. I know they hurt other people. I enjoy them. I don't want to become a Christian because I know in my head, I've seen Christians, they're not supposed to be doing these things. Right? I don't want to be a Christian because I can't do these things. And I loved it. I've told you before my testimony. I, I used to get a rush. The more evil I would get, it was like a rush for me. That's what drove me. I enjoyed my sinful lifestyle. And you know what, folks? The first half of verse 5 was me. That's me. But it's also millions of others. It's millions of others. But notice that Paul adds to this. He says the sinful mind does not submit to God's law. But then he says, nor can it do so. Nor can it do so. As Kenneth Wiest says, he says, such a mind is not marshaled under the command of God, but under Satan. No, we don't like those words, do we? We don't like to use the word Satan or hell in today's world, right? Such a mind is not marshaled under the command of God, but of Satan. The believer who is driven by, I'm sorry, the unbeliever, who is driven by the sinful mind does not have the ability to submit himself 
to God. They do not, as I said a minute ago, they do not have the Spirit of God in them. They do not have, as Paul spoke of earlier in Romans, a circumcised heart, right? And it all goes back to what he said earlier. It's their hostility towards God. That is, that is the fountain of their life. It's like a disdain toward God or the things of God and God's people. If you're outspoken about your faith, you'll know that. I quoted last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It's very clear. It says, The man without the Spirit of God does not accept the things from the Spirit of God. You know what it says? Their foolishness to him. There's that laughable part. Did you catch that? They are foolishness to the one without the Spirit, the unbeliever. That's ridiculous to believe such a thing. Remember, folks, as I stated earlier, the unredeemed are currently dead in their sins. Currently, presently dead in their sins. Well, Paul actually doubles down on this as he moves into verse 8. He says, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Now, you might have another translation that says those who are in the flesh, okay? Just like the prior words that I spoke of, this is a, this is a present tense in the Greek, and a lot of these are um, indicatives, by the way. An indicative is just simply a statement of fact, Okay? But the Greek word is, once again, it's continual, which is why the NIV uses the word controlled, okay? They are controlled by the sinful nature. That very nature is dictating what they do. It's doing it on an ongoing basis. They are yielding their lives to that nature. It's like saying they live for the things of the flesh, and therefore who they are is, is utterly inconsistent with the moral law of God, which declares the very righteousness of God. The unredeemed lead lives that are totally void of spiritual life and spiritual ability. One commentator says, even an unbeliever whose life seems to be a model of good works, they're nice neighbors, right? Is not capable of doing anything truly good because he is not motivated or empowered by God and because his works are produced by the flesh for self-centered reasons and can never be to God's glory. It clearly follows then that if the fleshly mind does not and cannot submit himself to the law of God, they cannot please God, as Paul just says. He makes a good point in this. If what you're doing is not for the glory of God, it's, 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 it's self-centered reasons. You might think those, those reasons are good, right? But I don't really put a lot of stock in how a non-believing world defines the word good. It's got to be the most subjective word you can use in the planet. Right? I'm a good person. I think I'm going to make it to heaven. Really? What does God think of that word good? But he makes a very good point. Well, folks, Paul has spent all of this time describing the heart of the sinful 
the unredeemed, the one who is driven by the sin nature. He has, he has used, uh, described these terms in different ways. He says they are hostile towards God. He says they do not and cannot submit to God, and therefore they cannot please God. Folks, this absolutely has to bring you back, if you choose to do so, uh, to Romans chapter 1. It has to bring you back to Romans chapter 1. The heart is sinful, the rebellious man. You remember this in Romans 1? Some of you know this. In Romans chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 28, he says, Furthermore, since they did not think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, Ken said this this morning, he gave them over, right, to a depraved mind, a reprobate mind, to do what ought not to be done. What did he say? He says they become filled with every kind of wickedness and evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. Listen to this. They invent ways of doing evil, as if there's not enough ways already. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Folks, if you ever want to talk about what Paul's dealing with here in Romans 8, it's, it kind of goes along with that, and, and that really comes the, the doctrine of total depravity. I mean, that's it. Totally depraved. Look at the list that we've talked about today. Totally depraved. It's no wonder that Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 7, you must be, what? Born again. Born again. You must be reborn. You must be new. You must be. And we're blessed today for those of us who have been by the grace of God because I can speak for myself. I know that I'm in all those lists, every one. I know I've done half those things. But we can all look at ourselves and say we are completely and totally separated from God, but by his grace, by his mercy, by his forgiveness, because Jesus Christ came and died for us, paid our sin debt, propitiated God, satisfied the righteous demands of Almighty God, we can stand here born again. Not just some religion, but he transformed us. Not positionally, yes, but practically. We're different than who we used to be. We have a different heart, a different mind, a different thinking, and that's all by the grace of God because we're no different than they are. Next time we'll, we'll, we'll actually get into that in verse 9 where he talks about those who are controlled by the Spirit. Okay, but Let's pray so we can share in communion together. Father, thank you, Lord, um, that you have revealed these things to us today. I pray, Lord, that we would truly understand the heart of man, and that is us too. I thank you, Lord, for giving us life, giving us your Holy Spirit, causing us to be born again, born anew, born afresh, that we don't have to live our lives in continual sin and depravity 
We thank you that we have and still see your work in our lives in your transforming actions. We give you every single bit of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.